I'm at the point in my life where I don't have to make a lot of money because I have made a lot of money. And sure. so I, I'm on, I'm vice president of marketing for a nonprofit. I don't get paid. And one reason I was a little late was we have a rush ad that we're doing. And it's due tomorrow morning. And I had to look at the layout before leaving. And so I do things that are meaningful to me. So what is your what is your background? So you're, you're UGA. Master's and PhD in English from the in University English? of Georgia. And how did you get into the, the marketing graphic design world that you're in now? So what was that transition? I like? have been a writer since I was eight years old. was writing short stories when I was eight. I've always been a writer. And um, before I um, finished my PhD, I was professor at a small college in Delaware, and I was the faculty advisor of the student newspaper. And we started doing ads, of course, and then I realized, okay, this is really easy, and I like doing this. So I ended up in advertising that way. I never didn't really intend to do it. And But the funny thing was, in college, as an undergrad, every time I took a personal interest test, it said I should be in advertising. But wow. I didn't know anybody in advertising. I didn't know anything about it, really. And, but I ended up there. I, I didn't need the master's and PhD to do what I'm doing, but sure. it sort of gives me some credibility when I have clients that are like C-suite people and they go, oh, she has a PhD. I guess I can trust her. So there's a little trust factor What was there. the allure to writing? What kind of writing did you do? Well, was all journalism up, I was capturing events or short stories? Oh, cool. As like I wrote my first short story when I was eight years old. And but even now, if I'm writing an email to someone, I I craft it. I can't help it. I'm just a wordsmith. And so, but writing and thinking are the same thing. If you can think, sure. you can write. And actually, in order to think, you have to be able to write. So, and the brand strategy, which is what I do now, it's just it's just natural. If you are a thinker, and you think marketing just as natural sure so. so you took um what is what does that road look like the english program for the master's and phd at uga how how long were you there living oh. hell so God. just to give you I an example you. I believe so you. you after you finish for the phd after you finish your coursework then you um take a couple months and you study for your written exams and you have four four hour written exams Two are in your major area, and mine was Southern Lit tonight was American Lit to 1900, specifically Southern Lit, and then one four-hour exam in each of your minors. So the other, I had medieval and modern um, lit, American and British literature. When I took those in the two years before me, only one other person had passed all four. Wow. They're so difficult, and you get one more chance to take them, and luckily I passed all four. So then wow. you have a few more months to study, and you have your a three-hour oral exam open to the entire university. Anybody can come, and they ask you questions about anything and everything regarding British and American literature. And so it's it's quite rigorous, and then then you get to write your PhD, your dissertation, which took me several years because I was teaching at the time, mm -hmm. knowing toward the end that I wasn't going to stay in academia. But like you said, burn the ship. I committed to doing it, so I finished it. Sure. And then... Where were you teaching? It was a college called Goldie Beacom College in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, cool. And cool. Um, But I left academia to enter the world of, of um, marketing and advertising. Do you enjoy... Do you still enjoy literature? 
Oh, yeah. Who are yeah. some of your favorites? Well, I'm rereading Gabriel Garcia Marquez's Love in the Time of Cholera. I'm not familiar. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. He was a Nobel Prize winner for literature. He just died a couple years ago. A Colombian writer, and I guess that's a translation. And I thought, well, given the pandemic that we've we're pretty much out of, but we've just gone through how what how appropriate sure. to read that book again because that's set in another time of you know a pandemic. Sure. So and I um also love a woman, Robert Oliveira, Robin Oliveira, who wrote a book, I Always Loved You, and it's about Mary Cassatt and uh, her relationship with um <clears throat> one of the French impressionists and imaginary. So and I read a lot of nonfiction as well. Cool. What kind of nonfiction? Well, I brought one with me. Oh, cool. What is it? Okay, you want me to show it? Sure, yeah. Okay. You can show the camera if you want. Okay, this, I read this when I first got into advertising. This has been translated into every language on the planet. It's probably, I don't know, this might be the 30th edition. And this, this was, this changed everything for me. And it's throughout everything I do, it's the foundation of brand strategy, but positioning the battle for your mind. Every human being, every product, every company is positioned in the minds of its consumers and employees. And if you don't do it, the market will do it for you. So you better take hold of it because this is the foundation. If you get this right, then everything else is cake. But a lot of of brands don't know. Yeah, it's very inexpensive. Get it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I don't know what what edition this is but it's and i actually was lucky to um work with one of the authors for a while oh wow yeah he was a consultant at an agency i was working working with and so he used to come and lead our brainstorm do you believe in that that fact and it's probably been twisted and turned should i look that way or you it doesn't matter i mean it can see you pretty good (laughs) we try to find a good profile (laughs) either way um if you want to talk to the camera talk to the people that are listening you surely can but most people just look at us uh more conversational but the um um what was i saying just now oh um i know what i was saying so the like with this book, the the marketing book, do you believe that, you know, that statistic that people say is like millionaires, the people that make the most money are reading like 50 books or 60 books a year or whatever? Do you find that to be, you know, the most prominent people that you work with, the, the richest people that you work with in business are reading a lot? You know, I don't know, but I will say that years ago when I helped launch a new carpet brand for Shaw Industries, which is up there in... Mm-hmm. Um, Cartersville. Or, no, uh, Dalton. Dalton, thank you. Yeah. Um, the marketing director, I would go in his office after we had had a work session. I'd go in his office and he said, okay, now. And he had this book of ideas that he kept. He called it his book of ideas. It was his journal, really, but it was just anything that popped in, into his head that he saw, thought, heard, you know, that struck him, he wrote down. And so he'd say, well, these are some of my latest. And we'd just talk about those. And I thought he was inspiring, and I don't think he was, like, super brilliant, but he just, his mind was open, always open, always curious. And I think that's the thing. People who are really successful are curious and want to know about everything. Sure. Not just what's in their field, but everything. And that's kind of a a, a curious mind, I think, is a sign of intelligence as well. 
Okay. So. Yeah, I could agree with that. And 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 also in what I do, like when you're concepting a new campaign, no such thing as a bad idea. That's the other thing. It's you know having a really positive attitude. You never know a a, a weak idea can grow into a great idea. And so you don't want to th- reject it. So just be open. Just open, open to ideas. So what was that um, <clears throat> first opportunity post the advertising for your um, journal, for your um, newspaper? Okay. So I worked in the reelection campaign of a U.S. senator in Delaware. I won't say the political party, but um, <laughs> he won. And then the party decided to do a quarterly newspaper, and I was asked to be the editor. So that was more PR. It, it was definitely it was news and propaganda. It was definitely <laughs> PR. And I, to this day, I do a lot of PR for my clients because actually, in terms of SEO, you know, for a website, if you can get those backlinks coming into your website. That's going to really help your rankings, and PR is great for that. So, sure. Because you, know, you, you send a press release to an editor, where's the editor going to go for the rest of the story? To your website. Right. So, so it, has it been a combination of that, of marketing and PR throughout your, your kind of your journey through journalism? Have you ever been in that area where you're creating your own content? Or you're, you're, all, you write yeah, a column, all, right? I, I create all my own content. I've, I've written... TV commercials, radio commercials, print campaigns. I've worked with more than 50 brands, five zero brands. And I've worked with some of the biggest names in mainly B2B, but Siemens, DuPont, Georgia Pacific. I was the group creative head of three divisions of Bell South. So wow. I've done you know a lot of big names, but also startups and a lot of high tech and telecom, you know, all of that. It's just... But mainly B2B and considered purchase. So. How do you get into that world? How do you get into the world of being at the table with the Georgia Pacifics and the Bell Souths of the world? Um, I actually have a friend, um, <clears throat> someone that actually was responsible for a significant portion of my income when I was in high school due to manual, physical, hard labor of moving trees and sticks and leaves and I mean, I worked my butt off, but I got paid well. Um, and he was a project manager for Bell South. So what he would do was oversee the, like when Bell South is doing like a huge infrastructure overchange or new construction mm-hmm. and they're they're laying all of the framework for internet. He was at, you know, he was the person that was running them. And he kind of had that lineage of started small with an independent contractor. That contractor became one of the preferred contractors mm-hmm. for Bell South. Mm-hmm. He was meeting all of the project managers that were already working at Bell South, and they acquired him over time. Um, what? How is it that you get into that world, that you get into that, that discussion well, of you know, private or yeah. government contracts or whatever? How, how is it that you get to those? Well, if you look size? at Siemens, Georgia Pacific, Eli Lilly, that was another one I worked on, some of those. I was vice president and creative director of Sawyer Riley Compton, which at the time was one of the top two or three B2B agencies in the country. So they came to us, and we, like, part of my um, salary was based on how many awards we won. So we were highly creative, oh, wow. and we we were in every awards competition. And then um, Bell South I worked on at when I left so at Riley Compton, I went to a bigger agency to do more TV, and they they are they had had Bell South for thirty two years. Oh wow! 
and lost it after I left. Not that they lost it because I left, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's some correlation. Um, so what is the what is that one award that sticks out in your mind? Then I'm sure there's one or maybe a collection of a couple of awards that are above. One, you know. one above all. The American Marketing Association Effie Award. And we went to New York to receive that award. And that is given not just on the creative but the results, and it was a campaign for Elanco Animal Health, which was a division of Eli Lilly, and it was massive, massive. It was print, it was direct, dimensional direct mail, it was everything you can think of, and we had tremendous results. And so that one, because most of the awards are just for the creative content, and I've judged some of those competitions, and you're just looking at the creative, and you don't know if it worked or not. But right. the American Marketing Association demanded results. So that one means, in fact, I shortly after I got that award, we got a kitten, and I named her Effie. After oh, wow. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. When was that? Oh, that was back in the 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is uh that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me kind of what what is it now that is that message for you? How is it that you engage with the businesses that you're engaging with now and and what are some of those things that you convince them of? You know, how how is it that you you sell to those people and you say, you know, how do you describe the importance of your logo and your brand and your marketing campaign and PR? How how is it that you put that into words? Okay, so I um rebranded as stand marketing for long for quite a while i was just doing it under my own name and i will be honest i took quite a few years years off to raise my daughter came back in on my own but anyway um so i named the company stand marketing and the tagline is stand for something and if you go to the home page you'll see the graphic if you don't stand if you don't stand if your brand doesn't stand out someone else's will that's just a fact there's only one number one in any product category or anything there's only one number one and and when you first land on the the apples are all green and then that one on the right gradually becomes red <laughs> if when you first land on that page but to stand out you have to stand for something and if you can figure out what you stand for and that's got to be who's your icp your ideal customer profile what are that persons or industries happy points and pain points how do you address those happy points and pain points in a way that no one else does does and then also in a way that they your icp cares about so um once you do that you don't reinvent the wheel with every press release or every um print ad or website or blog, you know what your story is. You know what you st- Even so, like I have um, one client in Dawsonville that I've gotten some uh, magazine profiles for and they get interviewed. And so before we, you know, go in, on the phone with the editor, we talk again about what we stand for. So every question they answer, they answer in terms of what they stand for. And so it just, it's so unified. And if you, if you know what you stand for, your market knows what you stand for, and your people know what you stand for, everybody knows how to address problems and how to talk about what you do. So it's just the foundation of everything. And I, I like to give the example of standing for something, which was back in, and it's on my website too, but back in 1962, 
Hertz had invented the rent-a-car concept, the category. And so if you're number one, if you're first, you'll be number one, at least for a while. You'll always stay, be number one for a while. And so all the other rental car companies were also RANs, and Avis had 11% of the rent-a-car market, and then came out with a campaign that said, we're only, we're only number two. And then the, the rest of it was, so what does it mean to you? We try harder. So they, they did a whole campaign, we're only number two, we try harder. Their people wore buttons that said, we try harder. They had, when, if you went into their rent-a-car office, they'd have a tank card that said, we're only number two, we try harder. In four years, they had 35% of the rent-a-car market and bumped everybody else out. I mean, they overtook Hertz. But again, they stood for something. We try harder. And because they publicized it inside and outside the company, everybody believed it and behaved accordingly. Sure. So So these marketing campaigns that you kind of embark on with your with your ideal client, are they you know, is that like a six month campaign? Is that a twelve month, a twenty four how how long do you know and how what how long does it kind of take to see the effects of the types of marketing that you're doing? Well when I worked for an ad agency and clients spent several million dollars, you know, it would be maybe three to six months. But again, if you're a, if you want, again, on my website, you could see the first thing you have to do is identify your market. Then you have to build awareness because nobody's going to do business with you if they've never heard of you. You're not going to make any sales if people don't know who you are. So it depends on where they are in the cycle. So if they're in the initial stages, they've never advertised before, they're a startup, you know, or they're rebranding, we have to build awareness. That's the most expensive, hardest, longest thing to do because you're going to have to spend money to go broad. Once you get some traction, you have some awareness, then you can go deep and build consideration. And But, I mean, your website is part of the journey from the top of the funnel all the way through in most cases. So, But, again, it's, it just depends on where they are in the journey. As What I like to say is persuasion is art, tactics are science. So a lot of it's measuring and so on. But the initial just brand strategy, that's art. That's sure. persuasion. Sure. So, so what does 2021 look like for you? Are you adding more <clears throat> small business, startup, nonprofit, more of that, Working you know, where you the, can identify the, the, the desire to grow as well as you kind of identify with their message? And to be honest, I'd rather grow with the clients I have, but I do have a new one that's going to be um, online jewelry sales. And um, But I, I also spend a lot of time doing marketing as a, for a nonprofit that I'm on the board of, and I don't even get paid for that, but it's something very meaningful to me. So, what is the nonprofit? It's called the Dunwoody Preservation Trust, and we um, save and rehabilitate historic buildings. But that's the almost the smallest thing we do. We then sponsor, like we sponsor Lemonade Days, which is a five day festival attended by over eighty thousand people. And we do um, a history camp for children in the summer. Even last year during the pandemic, we did it and didn't have a single case of COVID come from that. And we um, 
I just finished an ad this morning because we just won some awards for Best of Dunwoody. And so we were doing, just did it, we're doing an ad that we're turning in tomorrow. So I do a lot of that. We do other things there. It's, it's um, The farm that we manage is a, an event venue, and we have a lot of weddings there, a lot of other private events. And we participate in the Dunwoody Fourth of July Parade. What we do is we give people a reason to love their community and a way to be connected and it's all about connections if you if you're connected to your community and to other people then we're we're more unified we we 100%. love one another and it's also why I write my column I write a column called worth knowing for the reporter newspapers and we cover Buckhead Dunwoody Sandy Springs and Brookhaven and I every month I profile someone or some group that's doing something that brings us together. And that's part of my purpose-driven life. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. Don't make a lot of money from worth knowing, but I meet the most amazing people. I, I cannot tell you. Just amazing, courageous people. What is the format for that? Is it like interview style? Yeah, I interview them and... Uh, I interview them sometimes just over the phone or by Zoom. It just it depends on, you know, certainly over the past year, most of it was uh, over the phone except for the last one where I went in person. Sure. But, yeah, and um, I've just I've met people I, I, th- that are doing things that if I didn't write about, the people might not know. Right. But they're amazing, amazing people. Right. And they're people that fit right in with this burn the ship. Yeah. These are people that commit them their lives to something and even when people fight them, they keep going. That's what I was about to say. It seems like it comes from a very similar place as the podcast. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as a way to provide value and create a relationship with people worth knowing. Well, and one of my favorite clients that I actually get paid for is a nonprofit in Columbia, South Carolina called Transitions Homeless Center. And they have a city block where um, they uh, have beds and all kinds of classes and training. They also have a day center. But the goal is to have people transition from homelessness back into independent living. And I rebranded them, I guess, three years ago. And I do their fundraising campaigns. We do two of those a year. But I gave them what they stand for and a brand story. And the, the, the line is, the journey home begins here. Everything they do, even where I'm not involved, is based on the idea that getting out of homelessness is a journey, and mm-hmm. it begins here. And see, that's why it's good to stand for something, because then you just build on it. Yeah. And they do a lot of We need of a tagline. That's a good place to start. That's one of the things I do really well, yeah. is the tagline. Yeah, maybe you can yeah. help us come up with one. Yeah, yeah. We need one, because we bring a lot of value here. Mm-hmm. We do. I feel that. I mean, I know that you guys feel that. I mean, we bring a lot of value here. I mean, all of this is about is creating relationships with people that we can support and that support yeah. us. You know, is like some of the most. So we network a lot, like BNI, Power Core, Master mm-hmm. Networks, all of these close seat, mm-hmm. a lot of business associations, Chamber of Commerce is everywhere. We we network. You know, we meet people. We create those connections. One of the beautiful things about networking is that you're meeting people that want to do business in the way that you're already doing business. Like they want to be. Introduced, make the introduction, set up the meeting, 
close the deal, make the money. Mm-hmm. Like that is the that is the lineage of there. You're speaking to people that have a similar process and a sim- similar sales cycle mm-hmm. that already know how to make an introduction mm-hmm. and, and give a warm lead and understand what you do. This is nothing different. You know, this is nothing. Is people look, they know how to talk. You know, mm-hmm. people know how to talk about themselves, about what their business does, and, and put that that um, into words of, hey, here's what I do, what I do. But if they sat down by themselves at home at night, would never, couldn't piece together that message in their mind. Some of it, too. Like when I start with a new client, we do a half-day brand brainstorm, and we get all the key people in a room, and we talk about, okay, what do you do? What customers do you have that you like? What customers do you want to get rid of? Who's your ICP? What are your problems, challenges? What are your opportunities? And then I go back and put it through my brain and come back with a summary and then recommendations talking about what they stand for. And so my client in Dawsonville is a gearbox manufacturer and repair. And what they do is they work with um, international paper, all these major right. manufacturers. Any any um, company that manufactures something right. has gears, and gears are in gearboxes. And right. if they fail, the whole thing shuts down. So what it's Atlanta Gearworks, and what right. they do is this essential. And so when we did our, I feel like Dawsonville is an incredible place to start to build a kind of a brand and yeah, some recognition yeah. as well. And so they were promoting just gearbox repair. But when we when I spent the half day with them, what I realized is you're in a service business because they guarantee twenty four seven response, and they do they go twenty four seven above and beyond just fixing a gearbox. What they do is amazing. So we rebranded, focusing on service. And sure. we they got articles in trade publications, and it was a real nobody else was doing that. Do you have clients that their ideal client is smaller? Like their like our ideal client is you know some business that's doing you know a million to ten million dollars a year in credit card processing, and you know define the industry, tell you what they do, what that person looks like, and stuff. What do you have people that are looking to speak that message to that demographic of business as well? Or is it all the 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 bigger, bigger, smaller? No, I, I have in the past. Uh, right now, I don't. Um, the jewelry company, we're in the formative stages. I mean, sure. I'm helping them actually figure out their basic business. Sure. They'll be, that'll be B2C. Yeah. But it's going to be high-end jewelry, so it'll be a considered purchase. Mm-hmm. So, uh so no, right now I would say, well, okay. So transitions, all the fundraising that we do, that's we're appealing to um, sure. corporate sponsors and individuals, and right. some of these people don't give a lot of money, but they're compelled to give some because the story is right. so compelling. Yeah, that's um, that's just something that I've kicked around in my mind. You know, we always, you know, we say that we live in this world where credit card processing just isn't that thing that pops as far as digital marketing goes. The podcast may be a different conversation. You know, the podcast and the value that we bring um, and the people that we have in the office are incredible people. It may be something that, you know, we can craft a little bit of a different message there um, and kind of point that towards some of those people in order to build their relationship. Well, to be honest, it sounds like y'all lead personally purpose-driven lives. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Oh, for sure. Well, there's a whole segment of our population the values that right 
and doesn't want to just okay. Here's my okay. Send me a bill. Here's my here's my payment. Right. You know, they want more than that, and they want to know that they're dealing with people that have, again, what you stand for. That includes your values. Right. So it's not just we do business. We have values and. Consume not. This is not true of all consumers, but there are a lot of people out there that want to do business who sh- with people or companies that share their values. Right. And I'm not saying wear your religion on your sleeve because I don't do that, but I am a woman of faith. But still, there you there are people out there that would way prefer to deal with a, with a business that shares their values. Right. And, you know, we know what's going on in Georgia right now. It's extreme animosity mm-hmm. towards some of our um, corporate co- corporations that are I'm not going to get political <laughs> but you know people feel they betrayed us yeah so well they're being political yeah, yeah those they're being, corpora- and they're that's being not extremely good. political yeah. and uh, I think very polarizing mm-hmm. type of opinions they're kind of polarizing type and of actions people are sick of that they yeah. just they want to get along one one thing I know from the column I write is that people basically want to get along. They want to find common ground. They want to like other people. And I mean, I'm in a wine group. I have this friend, this group of friends. We drink really high end wine and have these amazing parties. And I don't know what people's political parties are mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, we share other things. And yeah. so you're all red wine. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. And we had an Easter luncheon that was lasted seven hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. It was fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, three hours to drink, four hours to sober up, <laughs> drive home. Yeah, well, that's awesome. How? Um, I want to ask. I always kind of how I I love the story that you have. You've you've given me a a different kind of idea of the marketing. I would love to read um that book. I think we're gonna order a couple as soon as mm-hmm. we get off of here. Um, how can we help you? You know, it looks like you've really you're kind of seen as you've boiled everything down to really being purpose-driven, um, intentional, and kind of the people that you're bringing on. How can we help you? What, well, what I is will it that say we can do? All, all of my clients, and I don't have that many, they're long-term. I don't, I, I'm not really looking for project work. Sure. I'm looking for relationships. Right. And they all have the same values that I have. And I think that is so, like, you need to trust, they need to trust me. I need to trust them. And obviously, you're going to trust somebody who shares your values right. much more easily. So, I, yes, I would love to find a few more clients. I love manufacturers because what they do is there are no smoke and mirrors. Yeah. You make something. Yeah. How novel I do too. is that? We, love, we have an incredible client that builds retractable awnings, and they sell that to independent contractors smart man those those people are the real home runs for us yeah. is the people that are selling to the chuck in the truck people like um we have one that sells kitchen like all your countertops all mm-hmm. of your your um plumbing work all mm-hmm. like your faucets everything like that anything that goes in a kitchen for new builds they sell all of that to independent contractors renovation experts people that deal with like after your home gets a disaster or flood mm-hmm. or fire or whatever millions and millions and millions of dollars a month in in revenue Mm -hmm. you know checks cash credit cards all things acclimated i mean you're talking you know 50 60 million dollars in revenue a year and it's pure manufacturing you know it's Mm -hmm. assembly so they actually make this stuff do they make it here oh yeah Mm -hmm. they do see that counts for a lot it does it does and that's their message that's their message Mm -hmm. is we're in florida 
and everything is in Florida, and you can see everything beginning to end, whatever you want to see, and you know that what you're getting is, is quality, real stuff. And also, if you're an independent contractor, you're out there scrapping, you know, for a living, yeah. and you would rather support a business that is making stuff That's going to support you as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's supporting the exact mm-hmm. same things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're going to a local store to buy things. It's like Costco. You know, it's like Costco for us for groceries is you're buying things at a quantity and a scale that's so beneficial for your business that you're only doing business in one place. Mm-hmm. That is unique. Like when I see that, that is you, that you have a corner on your customers where – you're like you said, building consideration. Mm-hmm. Except for you're doing more, you're spending more time eliminating consideration of mm-hmm. other people by continuing to add value with what mm-hmm. you're doing. Mm-hmm. They're incredible. You know, th- those are those are incredible business people that we learn from. Those business people, they're great clients. We mm-hmm. do a really good job for mm-hmm. those clients. Those people are very savvy. I mean, I think that pe- that company has like 30 salespeople, um, and it's awesome. You know, it's awesome. We, we want to build more connections in that but space what, as well. And what you do for them is their credit card processing? Yeah, we do a lot for them. We, we do their credit card processing, credit card processing for a lot of their clients. Um, as they're getting paid credit cards, mm-hmm. they're getting, you know, anybody that's using Square, Stripe, QuickBooks, whatever, they're just paying an outrageous percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, we can give them a very local, small-town company feel and service with technology that is applicable to their situation at a rate and a funding time that isn't outrageous. So I have a friend who's involved in a startup where they are buying truckloads of the sort of stuff you're talking about from Home Depot and Lowe's and companies like that. And it's overstock, some mm-hmm. of its returns. Yeah, and like surplus style. And they're selling it at a great discount. And yeah. they're just getting started. Yeah, I have a com- a friend of mine that's doing that in Cedartown. Sells overstocked, like, patio furniture, things like mm-hmm. that. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting $1,500 shed of patio furniture for 500 mm-hmm. bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, and then what this company is doing is selling to independent contractors. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's ideal. Well, I'm looking to build some relationships for you and stay in your network. This is exciting. I hope that we come up with a tagline that gets your seal of approval as well. Um, Anything else we can do for you, let us know. Um, But this is Burn the Ship. Well, you know, just find me some... Some smaller businesses, you you know, I not not so small they really can't afford to do anything. But, you know... A mission and a budget. Yeah, yeah. Yep. A mission, a mission. That is absolutely... And maybe they don't really haven't formulated or articulated their mission and what they stand for. Right. And I can help them do that. And that sure. will drive business. It may not what what you're doing when you do that, you're not gonna appeal to everybody. Sure. But you're gonna appeal to the right people. The right. ones that will stick with That's you. That's what we want. And uh, I years ago when I first got started, I had a mentor who, who said it's less expensive to grow your business with the clients you already have than it is to go out and get new clients. For sure. Plus, it's more rewarding to have the relationships. For sure. Well, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Carol Nima, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.